Oh, when Jesus taught, he taught with the intention of changing lives. Isn't that a big part of why you became a follower of Christ? Who do you think? Because of his teachings? Because of the things he said? And how about this, the way he said them? Oh, yeah. But Jesus had a personal goal, and it was to reveal the kingdom of God. And it was also to change the direction of the lives of people. I don't know about you, but I'm glad he's changed the direction of my life. I think most people that are saved would say that their life was going in one direction, and after hearing the teachings of Jesus, they went in a totally different direction. And that for the better. So when you think of the Christian life, it's not only a spiritual life, it is very spiritual, but that's not all that it is. It is also a life filled with practical issues of living. See, the practical is part of the Christian. We have to remember that. It's not so spiritual that it has nothing to do with how we live our daily lives. As a matter of fact, the, the, the spiritual aspect of the Christian life should be very impacting to our natural life. It affects how we listen to each other. It affects how we help each other, our generosity toward each other, treating each other properly, and then, of course, sharing Christ with others. That's important. And uh, praying to God, our communication with God, and uh, living in the Word. How important is that? To abide in the Word of God. See, the Word of God is alive, and it gives life. So it's not just a book report or a short story, it is actually life-changing. And when Jesus taught, that's why people would say, oh, they were astonished at the things he said. They marveled at him, because the things he said were very life-changing. How are they doing with your life? Do you see your life changing? Changing in a different direction from what it was before? That's so important. That's how you know if you're really hearing God. Because it does take upon itself a course correction. And that involves our thinking. It involves our perception. It involves our responses to life. So that's why Jesus taught. We're going to learn today what Jesus taught about judging. And this is important. Because judging... <laughs> Judging seems to be a real pastime here in America. Oh, yeah. And uh, unfortunately, it's found its way into the church as well. You know, people judge, oh, I can't believe they wore that. Look at that hairdo. Oh, how can they go out like that? And we can find all kinds of reasons why we judge and criticize and condemn. And that's important to God because it ruins relationships. So that's why Jesus talked about it. And we're going to pick him up in Matthew chapter 7. And we hear him speaking in verse 1. And he said, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. Hmm. Seems like we have a reap what you sow principle here. 
Let me read right through it. Do not judge so that you will not be judged, for in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Wow. It's like when you judge, you judge a mirror. It's coming back. It's coming back at you. And Jesus said, why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye? But you don't notice the log that's in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? (laughs) And then he got really, now he's going to build a church. You hypocrite. (laughs) Jesus, I thought you were trying to build a following. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. And then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You know, these are strong words about judging. Very strong. And it seems like Jesus, he's pretty serious about this topic. But you know what he's warning against? He's warning against unbalanced judgments. They're not balanced. So we'll go back and kind of tear this apart a little bit. As he said in verse 1, Do not judge, so that you will not be judged. Now, the word judge is the word krino, K-R-I-N-O, and it means to condemn. You know, it's like judging by passing a sentence. A.T. Robertson, who was a Greek word scholar, he said, it's the habit of sharp, unjust criticism. And you know, that can be hurtful. It's hurtful to the person that's hearing it, and sometimes it's hurtful to the person that's overhearing it, and they have a sensitive spirit, and they don't like it. See, because it means to separate or to discriminate, and that's what this kind of judging does. You know what it does? It separates people. I mean, our God is all about unity. The devil's about separation. Oh, yeah. He wants to bring the separation, but God's about unity. And this kind of condemning, this crino judging, it separates people. And it seems like wherever you go, it goes on. They judge and criticize, like I said, the way people look, the way people speak, the way people dress. I mean, there are so many things. I mean, it's one thing to do it at a baseball game. That's why you go. It's fun. You bum. That's okay. No problem with that. I remember when I played Little League, man, we were brutal with each other. Nowadays, they call DCF. When we were kids, he's a bum, he can't hit it, he can't see, he's blind as a bat. And that was all part of the game. Now today, if you say it, oh, my little Johnny, you hurt his feelings. You're off the team. Man, how things have changed. But anyway, that's sports. But in real life, Jesus is speaking not about So much, I believe, the act of judging, that is important, but even more than that, he's speaking about the spirit of judging. Because whatever we do, it begins with the spirit that we have. The spirit of judging is very important. Because if we have the right spirit, it spares us from the error of misjudgment. If you've got a good spirit, then you're not going to make the mistake of condemning others for small infractions. But if you've got a bad spirit, it's what you do. Yeah, it's what you do. You know, the ancient rabbis, they taught 
that there were six great works which brought a man credit in this world and profit in the world to come. And here they are. Number one, study. Study to the ancient rabbis. That was a great work. Number two, and that's important. You know what? You train the brain so it doesn't become like mush. Number two, visiting the sick. That's very big to them. Number three, hospitality. See how these are relational? Number four, devotion to prayer. Number five, the education of children in the law. We would call that Bible study today. And then number six, thinking the best of other people. So out of these six, three of them are relational. Thinking the best of others, hospitality, visiting the six. The other three are spiritual, study, prayer, and training up your children and the knowledge of God. You see how important, see how God, he balances the spiritual with the practical. It's both. It's not one without the other. It's both. So perhaps the misjudgment of people is one of our most grievous sins. How often do we hear messages on judging? Oh, we hear messages on Drinking and smoking and gambling and going to those places where skinny girls dance on poles and things like that. But what about the mental sin of judging? And again, Jesus is saying we basically reap what we sow. That's what we do. He said, for in the way you judge, you will be judged. Oh, in other words, how you measure it out, it will be measured back to you. If you're graceful, it'll come back. If you're vindictive, it'll come back. And by your standard of measure, there it is, I just said that, it will be measured back to you. So what he's saying is, he that is severe against others will excite severity against themselves. Wow. Solomon, he made a helpful observation about our human dealings. And I think this passage, we can apply to many things. I love this passage. And he, he, uh, Ecclesiastes 11, verse 1. I use it all the time. Cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for, for you will find it after many days. And I believe it's a reap what you sow principle, that what you put out there will come back to you. If you put love out there, love will come back. If you put helping others out there, help will come back. If you put compassion out there, compassion will come back. But if you put criticism out there, criticism will come back. If you put dishonesty out there, dishonesty will come back. See, whatever you cast out there, it will come back. And he's using the tides. You know, you go down the beach, right? You throw a stick in the water, the wave brings it back in. Unless your dog goes and gets it first. <laughs> but the wave will bring it back. So picture that. Next time you're at the beach, remember Ecclesiastes 11.1. 1. Throw a stick out there. And in a little while, the waves are going to bring it back in. And then think about, oh, what I sow in life, what I throw out there, it's going to come back to me. And sometimes it comes back many times over. 
Now, when Solomon said this, it was spoken with reference to giving to the poor, that if you give to the poor, goodness will come back on you. But I believe it has other applications as well. Like I said, if you need a friend, be a friend. If you need love, then be loving. If you need help, then go help someone. Whatever you need, sow it, and it will come back. And if you need mercy, then give mercy. But I'll tell you what, if you give judging, judging will come back. That's the biblical principle Jesus is talking about here. So we make an application to viewing other people, because this is what Jesus is trying to teach. Again, he's teaching for life change. He knows we have a sin nature. Oh yeah, that flesh. And is very prone to do the wrong thing. Prone? What am I saying? It loves to do the wrong thing. The flesh is gratified in doing the wrong thing. And that's why we have to be spirit-led, led by the Holy Spirit. Combat that dirty flesh. Crucify it. And live in the will of God. Be spirit-led. Yield to the Holy Spirit, Paul said, didn't he? So, let's take a look. Verse 3, the preparation of introspection. This is like, before you pass judgment, Jesus said, why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log (laughs) that is in your own eye. He's being a little hyperbolic there, isn't he? But he's trying to make a point. What is a speck? A speck is like, you know, a bit of a twig, a piece of straw. And that can be very irritating. Oh, yeah. The King James calls it a moat. Why do you look at the moat in your brother's eye? A moat is a splinter. And then he says, but you don't notice the log in your own eye. What's a log? It's a beam, a timber. Ever see those big beams that go across the ceiling of a house? One of those things. Wow. So one guy's got a little tiny splinter of straw in his eye, and the guy that's trying to take it out has this four-by-four patio pole (laughs) in his eye, and he's going to help him? One commentator said, it often happens that the faults which we consider as of the first enormity in others are to our own iniquities as a chip when compared to a larger beam. Now, again, this is Adam Clark, and he's got that rather older language. But what he's saying is this. We can more easily overlook our own faults than we do the faults of others. Don't we do that? Oh, yeah. Isn't that true? Isn't that easy to do, to overlook your own faults, not the faults of others? Oh, by the way, isn't that sometimes fun to do? Come on now, be honest. Isn't it fun to overlook your own faults, but not the faults of others? You know, like the saying goes, where love is thin, faults are thick. If you don't like someone, you can find a lot of things wrong with them because you don't like them. But if you like someone, you don't find anything wrong with them because they're your friend. You don't find anything wrong. Where love is thin, faults are thick. So Jesus said, how can you say to your brother, let me take that little speck, that little splinter out of your eye, but wait a minute, you don't even see the log in your own eye. I mean, picture this. Jesus, you know, sometimes I think he's being not funny, ha-ha funny, 
But funny, like, come on, this is like, he's trying to give us a picture here. <laughs> like, someone trying to take a little dust particle out of your eye when their eyes are filled with dirt. Right? Say somebody, their eyes are full of mud, and they're trying to take a little dust particle out of somebody else's eye. That's not going to work well. <laughs> they can't even see what they're doing. And yet, that's what we do when we condemn others, and we think we have no faults and no sins. See, faults puts us all on, on equal ground, because we all have them. And Jesus says, when you do this, this is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. He said, you hypocrite, Phew. first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, when Jesus said people that do this are hypocrites, it's the word hypocrites, and that's a word for an actor. In the Greek dramas, Greeks were very big on drama, and the characters in the play would have a stick with a face on one side, and they would turn it over, and there'd be a face on the other side, like a mask on a stick. And they would play two characters. Or maybe two moods, and one side might be happy, and one side might be crying. Or maybe one side is one guy, and the other side is another guy. That's called being two-faced. That's where we get that. A two-faced person is a hypocrite, but that's taken from the Greek dramas of the first century. So, Jesus is saying, listen, man, you're just playing. You're just an actor on a stage. You're not being real. You're acting. Be real and be honest. That's when you're real, when you're honest. But when we're dishonest with others and dishonest with ourselves, we're not real at all. Not at all. We're acting on the stage of life. So this life-changing principle that Jesus is teaching, let's go back. It's the spirit of judging that we have to be on God against. Because that's where it begins. See, judging begins in the heart. Judging begins with the way that we think. And that's the spirit of judging. And then it drives us. You know, people have different spirits. Somebody's got the spirit of stealing. And he'll go out and steal. Think nothing of it. Someone has the spirit of drunkenness. And they go out and their hobby is to be drunk all the time. Got to keep drinking. That's their hobby. Someone has a spirit of lying, and it works its way out through telling lies. And someone has the spirit of judging, and they judge others, and they condemn others. But see, it all begins with the spirit of the person. If you want to change your behavior, you got to change your spirit on the inside. How do you do that? Through the Word of God. That's how. Only God's Word can change us. Nothing else. Or jail, maybe. But only God's Word. So, let me give you some helpful hints to avoid not judging, but the spirit of judging. Because that's where it begins. Number one, we never know the whole facts or the whole person. When you judge someone to condemn them, you don't know the whole story. See, no one knows the strength of another man's temptation. We don't know Let's say someone's behavior is a little odd. You don't know their background. You don't know their upbringing. You don't know their hurts. 
Maybe they haven't been taught to dress nicely. Or maybe they don't have the best vernacular. But we don't know the backstory. So we've got to get to know that person first. You know, there's a mineral found off the coast of Labrador near Canada. And it's a rather dull, gray, and bit of a greasy kind of a stone. Very unattractive at first sight. But when it's polished, oh, it's of the finest beauty. It's beautiful. Point being, you have to know the whole stone. Some people are like that. Their beauty emerges as you get to know them. That's the key. Without knowing them, you don't know or see their inner beauty. But when you get to know them and you realize what they've been through, that beauty could come out. That beauty could shine. You know, maybe it's a person whose mom died when they were like seven years old and never had a role model. Or their dad went to jail and they never had a role model. And they kind of grew up. It was difficult. It was hard. It's so easy to judge someone like that. Secondly, it is almost impossible for any person to be strictly impartial in their judgment. Right? We're not impartial. Oftentimes, the ancient Greeks would hold a court case of extreme importance in the dark. You know why? So the jury could not be influenced by anything but the facts. Not by people's faces. Not by anything. They would only be able to hear the facts. As humans, we're influenced. We're influenced by our personal prejudice. You know, sometimes we like certain kinds of people and we don't like other kinds of people. We're influenced by what we've heard about someone, even though we never heard it directly ourselves. You know, the Apostle Paul, he had it rough. The false teachers, when they knew Paul was going to a certain city, they would go there first, and they would poison the minds of the people, warn against Paul, the heretic. And by the time Paul got there, the people would already be fired up against him because their minds were poisoned. That's what happens. People are influenced by what they heard without knowing. And sometimes when they're our friends, we're partial. We're very partial to our friends compared to the stranger. If if a stranger hit your friend's car, oh, it's their fault. It's the stranger's fault. You know why? Because they're your friend. <laughs> so it doesn't matter what your friend did. It's their fault. All these contribute to a wrong judgment of a person. Thirdly, only God himself is impartial to make judgments. Only God is fair. Jesus said it himself in Matthew 7. He says, don't judge, because you're going to be judged the same way. Now, it doesn't mean that we're blind to the faults of others, but you know what we are? We are fruit inspectors of what we hear. We can examine, and we can evaluate, and that's okay, but we don't condemn. That's the thing. When Jesus was talking about teachers and how to recognize false teachers, he said, you know them by their fruits. And I know sometimes people apply that to everybody, but he's really, he's really talking about teachers there. And you look at the fruit of a teacher, and it's not just their teaching, it's their lifestyle. 
That's very important. It's not just what they say, it's how they live. That's their fruit as well. Paul wrote in a letter in 1 Corinthians 5.9, not to associate with immoral people. So he's not condemning them. He's saying, listen, you can evaluate someone's lifestyle, and if they're immoral, you shouldn't run with them. That's all. He didn't say to condemn them, just don't run with them. In 2 Corinthians 3.2, he said, you are our letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men. So yes, we do have a right to look at each other's lives, and we can make an evaluation, but we do not condemn. That's the key. That's God's place to pass condemnation, but not ours. We can examine, and then we can make a decision, what will I do with my life with regard to this person? Do I need to run with this person that is immoral, that is dishonest, that is ungodly, or carnal? I have to make a choice, and hopefully you make the right choice. Better to be around people that are on the same page with you. They're after God. You want to be around people that are after God. Others are after the devil. They're after the world. What's that going to get you? That's going to get you in the world. So we make evaluations. So again, it's not so much the act of judging, but what we have to be careful for is living in the spirit of judging. That's what we have to be on our God against, the Spirit. Because judging has a beginning, and that begins in the heart. And that's where the Spirit is. The Spirit of what we do is in the heart. And if we can change the Spirit, then we'll change what we do. And if it's a Spirit that drives us to do negative things, then we change it. We 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 submit to God's Word and yield to the Holy Spirit, and then it moves us to do positive things. Those are the good things. Those are the things that make for a good life. And those are the things that bring glory to God. So when Jesus taught, you know what he taught? For life change. Because he knows that our lives need to change. Oh yeah, they need to change. Mine does. Mine needs to continually change. It changed a lot. Not done. (laughs) Not done. Keep working, Lord. Keep working. Hey, listen, send me an email if these programs are helping you. NewHopeRadio7 at gmail.com. That's it. NewHopeRadio, the number seven. Say, yeah, the programs, they help me. Or no, I don't like them. They stink. Why don't you get off the radio? Either one. I'll take negative, positive, We want to do the best we can to uh, help people bring glory to God. So if it's helping you, that's all we ask. Just let us know. And I thank you for coming along today. And I will see you next time for more of New Hope Radio.